Today's lesson, we'll be going through the overcoming barriers and excuses. Uh, this is the third part of the class for discipleship. Um, and so just to recap, for the first week we went through uh, what discipleship generally looks like and how Jesus calls all of us to disciple one another. And we also looked at, the second way we looked at why we should disciple, uh, we found that why we should disciple is for our joy and God's glory. So <clears throat> for this week, we'll be, again, looking at the excuses and um, barriers for uh, that people develop for why they don't disciple. And we'll see how to respond to those excuses or barriers with the Bible. Um, <clears throat> this question of like, how can we overcome barriers and excuses? Uh, assumes that all of us in this room has uh, excuses or barriers for not discipling one another, or uh, there would be people around us in our sphere of influence that has those um, barriers or excuses, which uh, to be a better discipler, we need to understand what those barriers and excuses are. Um, so I just wanted to start out with a question for you guys. What are some reasons that a person might give for not engaging in discipling relationship what do you what do you think go ahead Jim. I think the number one is it's a very time intensive thing mm -hmm. and you have to be totally committed to doing it mm -hmm. yeah we'll be actually covering that later on in the lesson I think some people will blame their personality like I'm an introvert you know, I don't yeah. do that well yeah it's for somebody else okay anybody else some people, I think it's just a, they, they don't know how. Like they, mm. it's just like, what is that? Because it's never been done for them, and mm. so like, where do they start? Yeah, and maybe there's a uh, a mistaken understanding that they need to be kind of uh, you know yeah there's seminary trained, or I, I have to you know be you know very uh, uh, you know mature in the faith to even start that. So yeah, such misconceptions. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest problem is I think most people never been disciple themselves. Mm. And so therefore, and I think, I remember James Kennedy said evangelism is more caught than caught. And I think the same thing is true with discipleship. Mm -hmm. And uh, navigators are probably the best discipleship always for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they always said you need someone pulling you, pulling you up. You need someone pulling you pulling up. And you need something in the Christian life to be together with you. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then I think sometimes people are disappointed because people don't respond to discipleship. Mm -hmm. So I think they give up. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so we'll be covering a lot of those points that you guys talked about or like touched upon on some of these questions. So we, we'll definitely be covering those in this lesson as well. Um, so yeah, like with like these barriers and excuses that we like people either develop inside themselves or we ourselves develop 
um, to prevent us from being discipled by another person. It usually inhibits us to um, the person that is discipling or that should disciple. It inhibits them uh, to become like spiritually encouraging. Uh, and so that's why we should try and overcome these barriers and excuses so that way we could be spiritual, spiritually encouraging to our brothers and sisters in Christ and give them uh, nourish their uh, spiritual nutrition or fruit. Uh, so in this class, is, uh, we will be looking at specifically five excuses. They're each broken down into three categories. Again, five excuses broken down into three categories, which the first one being the problem of theology, the second one being a cult, problem of complacency, and the third one being a problem of inadequacy. Again, the first one is going to be the problem of theology, which is um, one and two, and then the second one is the problem of complacency, which is uh, three, and then the third one is the uh, problem with the uh, inadequacy, which is four and five. So the first one we'll look at is uh, excuse number one of a problem of part of the problem of theology. The people like to say, like, I don't want to be in a position of authority with uh, discipleship. Um, and so what, why do you guys think that is why why do you think that's a person would see discipleship as like being a position of authority over another person uh so like the excuse that like the first excuse that right. people respond is i don't want to be in a position of authority right and my question was like why do you think uh, the person like came up with this or thinks that's a authority i mean discipleship involves like some sort of authority over another well, person why do they think it's yeah. yeah because i think a lot of people think well they they have to answer a lot of questions they have mm. to be better in theology they have to be better uh, be, be prepared to answer all the different questions mm -hmm. so maybe not necessarily you have to be knowledgeable but Mm -hmm. Those are the questions. Okay. Yes. Uh, Jim? Go ahead. Yeah, well, I think it's basically what was that relation? That's disobedience. Disobedience, is it? Yeah. Jesus said, go, go, make disciples. Mm -hmm. So, because he didn't, that makes, makes you realize it doesn't have anything to do with your uh, adequacy, your comfort level. Mm -hmm. Being in a position, it's just a matter of being obedient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Um, I mean, it's just, I mean, like it's the idea of disciple, discipling someone, people think of it as kind of like a one way street. You know, yeah. like one person is telling another person, like, this is where your life is wrong, this is where it's right, this is how you need to fix it. And usually, in that kind of uh, relationship dynamic, it's, you know, it's an authority 
mm. uh, dynamic going on. So yeah. that's why people think that this is the case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we can see how, like, um, we have, like, some people may have, like, a misconception of discipleship there, and this, or, in other words, a problem with theology there, um, because what they view as discipleship may involve some sort of authority over the person as an authority, as in, like, this person is, like, either uh, older than me, or et cetera, et cetera, he's going to be, like, um, domineering over me, for example. Um, so, like, we could also see how the culture um, has a different view of authority, too, um, and, and as a result, uh, we, like, worldly people want to be independent from authority, from the authority of government. You can see that in our culture today. Um, so that is, in a sense, it kind of trickles down to uh, teaching and instructing others. When people teach and instruct others, uh, other people might view it as that person has authority over the other person. So that's why we should take a look at the Bible on what authority clearly is depicted in the Bible. So if we... Look at um, Jesus' character. Uh, Jesus' authority isn't just um, isn't just through like being domineering over a person, but it also is also entails him being a loving servant and loving one another. But he also spoke truth to the disciples to uh, tell them about God's mm -hmm. word and. Uh, the Father's love. And so we could see that in the, the example of John 13, 13 through 14. The verse reads, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In uh, Oswald Sanders, the his book on spiritual leadership says the following, which I really like, and it's called The Master's Master Principle, which reads, In light of the tremendous stress laid upon the leadership role in both secular and religious worlds, it is surprising to discover that in the King James Version of the Bible, for example, the term leader occurs only six times, three times in the singular and three times in the plural. That is not to say that the theme is not prominent in the Bible, but it is usually referred to in different terms, the most prominent being servant. It is not Moses, my leader, but Moses, my servant. The emphasis is consonant with Christ's teaching on the subjects. So we can see here that again, Person of authority doesn't mean there'll be like a domineering or dictatorship sort of leadership, but he is a servant, a servant of Jesus Christ and a servant of us. And so we can see this in Matthew 20, 25 through 28, which reads, 
But Jesus called him, them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is this, not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servants, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So you can see this hard attitude puts other people's welfare uh, ahead of your own instead of putting your own welfare first. So you'll find that discipling puts you in a paradigm of uh, sacrificial love instead of, um, again, self-serving love. And you can see how it comes with service and humility rather than um, trying to please oneself. So we, we aren't supposed to lord over anybody when we disciple them, but we are to supposed, supposed to serve them even if they don't perceive it as us serving them. And so, but we also should be very... Uh, Sorry. We should also be very careful when we uh, try and disciple one another and our view of authority because we need to analyze if the our view of authority is either serving ourselves or serving for God's glory. Uh, so like a good question for everyone to ask before, of discipling a person would be, am I displaying a servant's hearted uh, love of Christ in my use of authority? Or am I using it for my authority? Am I leading them to God's word or to my words or to my opinions or to my convictions? <clears throat> so when we take them to God's word and to our own person, <clears throat> and not to our own personal opinions, we are being of loving servants. So don't get a big head because of your service this way, but rejoice in God's goodness to use you to bear fruit in other people's lives. Any questions for the first excuse? So excuse number two, again, still under the category of the problem of theology, is intentional discipling relationships turns friends into projects. In other words, like I could, I remember very clearly when, before I came to Christ, I used to try and want to change people for the better. I had a friend in college who I assisted them in losing weight. Um, there was one example. And so he lost like about 100 pounds. And I was very prideful in that sense. And that was kind of my people projects. Or I had another friend who he con constantly wanted to steal. And I wanted to show him that stealing is wrong. And again, over time, I would just work in that relationship and show him my when I was seeking Christ at the time, 
I wanted to show him like the good morality that was involved. And so that was kind of my people or discipleship projects or person projects. So that is why, <clears throat> sorry. So to help us understand this objection, we should understand what is real biblical love and friendship anyway. In John 15, Jesus says that real love is when we love others as Jesus has first loved us. If we recognize the example of Jesus' love for his disciples as any sort of motto, then we cannot, I mean, conclude that's real Love is merely affirming affection and camaraderie. Jesus loves by setting out fundamentally to do the eternal good for others as the supreme mark of his love for them. Last week we read that Jesus' words to his disciples in, from John fifteen fifteen says, No longer do I call you as slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that." I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus was shown by um, revealing his Father's will. And did you not hear that Jesus' friendship uh, was shown by revealing the Father's will? For all that I have heard from, Jesus says, From all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Friendship is shown by sharing the Father's will. And that they were not merely a project to him, but he loves them by revealing the truth in God's word. In Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, we see here that Christ's desire is to set out good for his children, which is the grand mark of his love for them. And the pattern continues to trickle down to us. We are to live life of love for one another, just as Christ has lived a life of love for others. Real love sets out purposefully to do spiritual eternal good and beloved for the beloved, not our immediate needs, but the spiritual fruit or the spiritual nourishments for other people. That said, it is possible to make people into projects. We can make friends, I mean, friend, a, a friendly project by demanding rigid adherence or a set program or not being concerned about their actual feelings or by throwing simple Bible verses just to think that they would change that way. Without taking time to understand how they are struggling, that could be, in a sense, a project of discipleship project. So to throw out the question, how do we avoid a project of people? How do you, what do you think? Um, at the end of the day, we need to be faithful to God and to Scripture in this. There will be times when we have relationships with people 
who simply will not feel loved by an intentional relationship focused on their spiritual good. Sometimes this happens because, because they believe your intentional discipleship is out of sense of obligation, not out of any sense of really loving them. Other times this will happen is when uh, someone really doesn't believe that caring for their own soul is the more, most important thing in their life. I remember earlier this week when I was, or last week, I asked my roommates, how is his walk with the Lord, Jesus Christ? And it seems like to him, he did not prioritize it, or he wanted to avoid the question. So similarly, we could see that example um, for people not prioritizing their spiritual life there. So for many of a relationship focused mainly on spiritual encouragement, maybe emotionally unsatisfying. But I encourage you to maintain a good balance of gentleness, kindness, and clarity on this point, because we want to be kind and gentle to help a person understand and perceive the love we have for them in Christ. At the same time, especially with less mature Christians, you don't want to see your way of relating to them by being driven by their felt needs. Rather, you want it to be shaped by God's word. So be your friend and hang out if you can, but keep in mind that to point them to the Father for greater joy and greater repentance and obedience. That's the best way to love them, is to draw them closer to Christ and the Father. Any questions on excuses two? Okay. So in excuses three, which moves forward to the second category, which is the problem of complacency, I don't feel like it and don't have time. Yes, we live in a busy uh, world where most of our, us have many things going on in our, in our lives, relatively good things like marriage engagements, um, birth of newborn children, or buying a house, or any of those sorts. But consider what we have received from God and his church. What does it say about our understanding of grace and love if we hoard those blessings for ourselves? Many times it helps to set the focus on things that really matter in life, the things that the Bible directs as being most important. If we think about how God has cared for us, loved us, and forgiven us, or blessed us, or comforted us, we are motivated to do the same for others. We could see this in various parts of scriptures, and because we love others, we love others because God first loved us. Remember that life is not full without Christ. If our friends are not living life the way that God intended them to live, then they aren't living life to the fullest. To choose not to encourage them to live the life of Christ is unloving. Let me say that again. To encourage them to live a life with, without Christ 
is not loving. So let me remove uh, the negatives from the previous sentence and say it to you in another way to challenge them to live life with Christ as at the center is the most loving thing you could ever do for them again. Again, to challenge them to live a life centered with Christ is the most loving thing you can do for them. Think about it. If you individuals who have encouraged you through your faith and who have challenged you to fight off sin, the Great Commission was meant to be to have a spreading effect, not to end with you, but to spread to others. What is what if your problem is time? You may ask. What if you don't feel like you've got to disciple others? It might well be that even with an insane schedule, you can do this. If you do have an insane schedule, I encourage you to talk with a close friend or maybe your pastor, perhaps, and um, to work with your schedule and see how that works. And it is almost certain that if you look through your schedule, you will find things that are of lesser value that you could prioritize discipleship over that's priority. Overall, it comes down to what we desire and prioritize in life when it comes to uh, making time for discipleship. I don't know if you've ever considered how expectations can cause us to do less in the Christian life, but I mean, if you think, for example, your quiet time, for many of us, we want to be structured and we want to dedicates 30 minutes or an hour long of studying an extensive Bible study or doing prayer involved with that or meditating upon that. And what ends up happening is that we don't do it at all. So this is an incredible, unhelpful expectation that we carry upon us that we shouldn't have. And so... So in, in summary of that situation, we don't, in a sense, we don't have time to do all the things that might help, so we don't bother doing any, anything to help. So that is why we need to do something in order to help ourselves in that sense. So similarly, we need to do a small action for discipleship. And we don't, we could spend about five, ten minutes, however long discipling one another, uh, whatever your schedule permits, versus having an expectation of dedicating an hour or so to discipling. Um, and therefore, if we do that, we might not disciple anybody at all. So later on this class, we will we'll consider how to do a Bible study with one another and how to pray together. But if you don't have much time to prepare for a discipleship relationship, consider how you can use local teaching and preaching ministry as a basis for teaching and discipling relationships. One of the ways you could do this is by attending a core seminar class with someone and then meet up for them for lunch to discuss about the contents. 
Another one would be to meet to discuss about the uh, Sunday morning sermon. And the third one is to meet with someone to stimulate a discussion about the contents to what people have delivered for and uh, prepared for and delivered for. It is still good and helpful leadership in discipling that way. So now the fourth excuse, which is the problem of inadequacy, is I don't have anything that I can teach. So every Christian has at least one important thing to pass on to others, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the very least, if you don't feel you have anything you can teach, you can seek out someone with whom to share the gospel. You might think of the gospel as what God uses to bring unbelievers to salvation in Christ. That's certainly true. But the same gospel saves us in the same, I mean, the gospel that saves us is the same gospel that sanctifies us in a daily basis. As we discussed last week, the lines of evangelism and discipling aren't always clearly drawn. And throughout the book of Titus, you, we will read or see how Parby, Paul argues the best things that we could do is to remind other believers about the truths of the gospel. In Titus 3, 1 through 8 reads, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. They, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable, profitable for people. Brothers and sisters, we must continue and remind ourselves and others of the basic truth of the gospel. You can form a good discipleship relationship with someone just by spending time going over each of these truths in death. Paul says they are excellent and profitable for everyone. Additionally, you can use books, which we'll talk later more in later lessons. Whatever stage you are as it, a Christian, you always have something you can teach. Your daily life, prayer, your words, everything in your life is a means through which you can disciple others. And lastly, the excuse number five, which is again a problem of inadequacy, uh, says, I'm not gifted to disciple others. Others are simply more gifted than I am. Let them 
disciple others. So here we need to recognize that we have different gifts that we can pass on to younger Christians. It's not simply a matter of theology or expertise in biblical exposition. You can disciple someone by teaching them how to pray diligently and effectively by simply listening to their struggles, by letting them come along with you as you have modeled them how to live. An example would be if you look at married men and women incorporating singles into their lives and single career men and women who incorporate college students or high school students into their life. Discipling is fundamentally about bringing people to God's truth, and you are to be a conduit of that truth. If at this point in your Christian life you don't feel competence or confidence in teaching others the Bible, then consider reading a good Christian book with someone. If it is a good book, then it includes wisdom and biblical truth that you can discuss and share with someone when you read it over. <clears throat> and discipling is not something you can do on your own. Discipling is not something that you can do on your own. Fundamentally, apart from their own understanding of the gospel, the most important thing you can do for a Christian friend is help them get involved in the local church. You want to get your friend involved in a local church or another Bible-believing church so that he or she can be discipled by the other person in the congregations who have gifts that you don't have. Remember, it takes a church to disciple. <clears throat> I mean, remember, it takes a church to sanctify us. Discipling should never be thought of as an individualistic endeavor, but a community affair. So can you guys give me other examples of other reasons why we struggle with discipling or suggest ways in which uh, we might, others or uh, ourselves might make excuses in discipling? Sometimes you can make the excuse like, oh, I'm, I'm struggling myself. No, I'm, I can't disciple anybody. I'm, I'm struggling. So, Excuse. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like true for everyone. We're all struggling in yeah. some degree or something. And so yeah. Yeah. That's the barrier that nobody would ever say. That's true. Yeah. <clears throat> Are there um, any other excuses or or any other thoughts that people could think of? Um, yeah, I mean, even though we might be struggling through a trial, I'd say it's, again, if we remember the the motivation behind it in the second lesson, it is for our joy and God's glory. Even if we're struggling just for a little bit, we and if we try and disciple someone, we will still receive that little bit of joy and therefore glorifying God in that sense. So, now, we'll take a look at overcoming these fears. Even if you we get past the excuses for not discipling, 
Many of us still have certain fears about discipling. In fact, it's probably a good thing to have some measure of a healthy, holy fear about the task before you. Recognize the commitment. Discipling is not to be taken lightly. And a little bit of fear is a good thing. In Matthew 18, remember that time when Jesus welcomes the little children. Many think of this passage as being just about kids. While it does certainly involve children, especially kids right in front of Jesus, um, our Lord was also using children as an analogy for how to spiritually deal with any Christian adults and children alike. Verse 6, we read that you don't want to be causing God's children or any other believer to stumble in their walk with Christ. In 2 Peter 2.1, we find that Peter warns the people not to follow false teachers. Throughout the Bible, we see warnings against false teachers who lead people astray. You don't want to be one of those, not even in the subtlest sense. By committing to intentional spending, uh, intentionally spending a decent amount of one-on-one time with an individual, we must recognize that we can have a significant influence on their Christian walk, especially if they see us as someone with some authority, and they see us as someone to use as their model. Now, we do not want to teach or exemplify the falsehood, so we should approach discipling others with some holy fear. That would not lead any of God's children astray or in the wrong directions. So when we are so how are we to deal with these fears? Um, or what are the, some of these fears that we might have in discipling others? One reason might be your friend will ask questions that you can't answer. Another reason might be you say something wrong. Another reason might be you you won't live a out a perfect Christian life in front of your friends, or you're immature to help anyone, or you might fail at this. You might not be liked by the other person, and you, like the most people, hate rejection. All these things we need to remember that God helps us in overcoming these fears, failures, and weaknesses. Not only that, but he finds ways to work through us despite our shortcomings. In 1 Corinthians 16, 10-11, we see that Paul did not condemn Timothy of his fear, nor does God condemn it. In 1 Corinthians 1, 25-29, God works through the foolish, lowly, despised, and weak things of the world. In that description, we find that we are included Remarkably, God is at work through us, weak, struggling Christians, and he uses these broken vessels to bring truth to others. Praise God that a good ministry of discipleship is not predicated uh, to our giftedness. Praise God that a ministry, good ministry of discipleship is not predicated our giftedness, wisdom, and our gifts. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God 
gives us the strength where we need it, and he gives us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. In 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Remember what God has given you. Don't let a low view of your abilities discourage you from attempting to encourage other believers, but rather hold fast to the righteousness which God has called upon you. Paul encourages Timothy here to set an example in the example of speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Also remember that we are not perfect. When we stumble, we need to face our mistakes. When we, we need to show those who we disciple how to deal with our sins and failures. In other words, we have to model confession, okay. repentance, and prayer of thanks for forgiveness. If you... Sin against your friends. Ask him or her for forgiveness. If you say something wrong, correct it next time. The world does not like to admit sin and weakness, for we can model the Christian life by dealing with it in a straightforward and honest manner.